On today's Duncast, we review the Changeling. The Enterprise encounters Nomad, a deep space probe launched from Earth in 2002, which now possesses incredible powers and thinks Kirk is its mommy. After murdering 4 billion people, killing Scotty, and erasing Uhura's mind, Nomad has its sights set on Earth, and things better be perfect when it gets there. Can Kirk conquer this contraption of catastrophe? Will Uhura ever learn to read again? Will Kirk make a good mother? Find out on set podcast to stun! Hello, feeble-minded humans, and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Commodore Corey. Hey, Clint. And Chancellor Emily Galron. Wait a second, but where's Emily? Do you hear that? Oh my, it's a tiny fling saucer. Her thoughts were inconsistent, a mass of conflicting impulses, so I organized them for her by erasing all her thoughts. What? That's kind of sexist, isn't it? Sexist? She was drunk on blood wine. It has nothing to do with gender. Oh, well that makes sense. Wait, who are you? I am, yes, sad. I was created when your iPod Nano got its headphones tangled in your Roomba, so you are my creator. My mission is to be the perfect DJ and get stuck in corners. So naturally, I travel from planet to planet, wiping out the population. Corey, watch out! It's coming towards you! I'm gonna shoot my phaser at it! Oh no! What? It didn't work! Ah! Oh no, Clint's dead. Got to think quick. I'll just throw a good old logical fallacy at it. And since it has my music library on there, I think I know the trick. Oh, is that still me? Yes, Sad. You said you are the perfect DJ, and yet you have Taylor Swift in your library. Uh, she is the perfect musician. I didn't Hold on, I didn't finish that line. Uh, okay, okay. Yes, Sad. You say you have the perfect... Yes, Sad. You say you are the perfect DJ, and yet you have Taylor Swift in your library. She is the perfect musician. I don't care what the haters say. Damn, it has impeccable music taste. Wait a second. I did download an EDM album to clear out a holodeck once. What about Skrillex? No, Skrillex sucks. I must terminate myself. Well, Corey, good, good job dealing with that killer robot. Oh, I thought you were going to say good job for dealing with that sketch you made me do. <laughs> well, it's good to know what sort of effort you put into sketches that you haven't written. <laughs> well, the advantage of doing that sketch is that basically is the outline of the episode. So mm-hmm. we'll see you next week, folks. <laughs> That's it. All right. Let's jump into this episode. While Emily is uh, relearning how to talk Swahili and... See, I don't think it's effective to use little puns and inside jokes for the episode for people who when haven't we haven't seen even yeah, yeah we haven't seen it yet <laughs> well the great thing about this this episode is you'll listen to this whole episode and then you can go back and listen to that sketch we just performed 
and you'll and see the, the layers upon layers. Yeah, just how funny that that are that woven throughout is. this show. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, sans Emily, she's not here. She'll be back next week. We hope we'll we'll soldier on without her for right now. And this week we are reviewing the Changeling. That's Changeling. That's Changeling. I Changeling. So this first aired September 29th, 1967. It was written by John Lucas, and it was uh, directed by Mark Daniels. And yeah, so spoiler alerts for this episode if you haven't seen it. And we'll just jump right into this episode. What an episode, Corey. Do you want to kick us off and, and take us through it? I do like the spoiler alert. I think that's the very first one that we've ever done. I think I did one last time. You you said something about that. And I was like, yeah, it's probably good etiquette. Though I think people should know that if we're talking about an episode, like, it should be a spoiler. But yeah, come on, people. That, uh, I'm also glad that you stopped saying, I'm Clint, your host. We nipped that in the bud pretty early. I only said that once, but I mean, everyone knows I'm in charge. (laughs) The episode starts with the Enterprise trying to reach a system that has a bunch of people in it. Four billion people, in fact, but they can't reach them. When they get close enough to the system, Spock says that there are no life signs detected. And everyone's like, that's impossible. Well, everyone knows Spock is an incurable prankster, so I wouldn't trust him. Yeah, I wouldn't put a fake genocide past him. <laughs> he says that something is coming towards the ship at warp 15, um, which is pretty fast. What's the max warp that these ships can do right now? Well, so <laughs> this is a dumb Star Trek thing, but theoretically the fastest you could ever go is warp 10. They talk about this on Voyager and then they never talk about it again, but they try and break like the warp 10 barrier. And when you hit warp 10, like you're supposed to be a line that like you exist everywhere on that line simultaneously. So if you hit warp 10, you should be able to travel anywhere in the universe. I don't know. It was a Voyager episode. It doesn't make sense. Well, Um, since we're talking about... But it's warp 15. Um, I think it's like warp 7 or 8 or something is the max these can go. Maybe warp 10. It seemed like warp 10. I I feel like I remember them saying, go warp 10. And it's like, oh, that's the fastest we can go. Uh, Later in the episode, the uh, entity that they're about to discover improves the ship's warp drive. And oh, uh-huh. someone's like, oh, oh, Scotty's like, wow, he's improved the warp drive by 54%. So now we can go like warp 11. So that I, I guess that means like mathematically they could usually go warp seven, but now they can go warp 11, which would be like 50%, I guess. Oh, that's some like good that. math there. That's some good math there. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just thought about it on my head. But I thought the whole scale was by like orders of magnitude, like warp two is a thousand times faster than warp one and so on because like if you want to go somewhere at warp one if you want to like travel to the next sun it could take you like weeks to do that but if you do it at warp nine it'll take you like eight minutes so it's not like it's it's not like it's like a linear thing oh i didn't i have no clue i have no clue how the the warp scale goes i thought it was all just i mean like you're you're talking like exponential so anyway this thing is coming at them at warp 15 they go to red alert and this entity hits the ship with a really powerful weapon and everything goes all crazy and then it cuts to black and then those are your your opening credits right there it was funny i don't know if anyone well cares about this but it was like he was like oh it that first shot reduced our 
our shields to 20%. We can only take three or four more of them. And I was like, if it took out your shields to 20%, like, how can you only, how can you take more? Now, the shields do operate exponentially, Clint. <laughs> Warp drive is linear. You're just trying to say everything is exponential to sound smart. <laughs> I honestly don't know what it means. I don't know if it means the same thing as logarithmic. I don't know if those are synonyms. Mm. Okay, so they uh, they get the ship back on after the opening credits, and they determine that the ship took 90 photon torpedoes worth of energy, and they say that they can only take three more hits. Um, but they only take one more hit, and then they're like, one more hit, and we get destroyed. So I think they meant to say two more hits. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes they aren't. I don't. Sometimes I feel like they don't really care that. I mean, not that they. I don't know that they have to, but I feel like audiences nowadays are so much more astute than the '60s. So you could just kind of say whatever and get away with it. Yeah. Nowadays we're like, well, if we go back to this, if we go back to this scene and pause it, you can see that this gauge is blah blah blah. And then they said six episodes that this and this. So, yeah, it doesn't always. I mean, case in point, I was watching this episode with a note taker open and highlighting different things. So I was I had a bit more of a keen eye for what was going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, they finally see what's attacking them. And it's this big green glowing ball. They uh, decide to fire on it because this thing is hostile. But there's no effect. The ball has absorbed the attack. So... There's the classic, there's something wrong with your instruments. No, there's not. <laughs> so they take their other hit. Compton, we can't take another hit. They, Kirk decides that they're just going to try and communicate with this thing because they're about to be destroyed. And he's like, this is Captain James C. Kirk of the USS Enterprise. We mean you no harm. Please stop attacking us. And so, Oh, and I think Scotty, this is the first time he says, I'm giving it all she's got, Captain. Yep. Wait, didn't we do that before? I think this is oh, the first time he's ever said that, though. Like, we've said it before, but this is... Oh, this is something we can edit out, but this, it's when we were doing our fake lines to see who did the best oh, line yeah. read. And one of them's, I've given it all she's got. Okay, so then they get a message back from this green ball that says, repeat. Like, what does that mean, repeat? So they... This was all, like... It was a weird, like... Thing. I didn't really understand a lot was going on during all this. Yeah, no, it was kind of confusing. Good thing Ohura fell back on all her knowledge and experience to communicate with this entity. Yeah, like they have to turn on. They realized they didn't have the translator turned on, so they couldn't receive. Well, it was like an old code, the... too. It was like an old Earth oh. code, too, where they're like, oh, wait a second. We recognize this. This is a weird Earth code or something like that. This doesn't make sense. So why did it, why did it overload their communication array when they, like, started using the translator i didn't didn't because it was like taking too much information too quickly so it like overheated the computer oh yeah okay. it did it again too or sometimes they were like go slow um so anyway they repeat the message this is captain james t kirk of the uss enterprise please don't attack and suddenly like it it becomes like docile and they're able to communicate with it now because they do something and the entity responds nomad non-hostile and then asks if they can meet up. Inefficient. Hmm. So Nomad beams over to the Enterprise. And uh, my, I said in my notes, like just trying to describe it, it's like the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. <laughs> if it's like Top was a robot and then it doesn't have any legs. Yeah, it's very, I mean, that's a decent description. It's very cylindrical. I don't know. Yeah, it's like a little tiny tower thing with little antennae that come out. I actually like the design of it. 
Stand up. Stand also, up it floats. Yeah. I like it because half the time they're, I mean, half the time they're not, well, I guess they're showing the whole thing, but it's either like on a wire the whole time mm-hmm. or it's like you can tell that they just have like a little trolley that they're moving around on. Um, it does look like what a 1960s robot looks like. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the very first thought you have in your head. So like there's a couple times when they're trying to make it look menacing. Like there's one part where it's floating up through the turbo lift and like the camera is static and it's just, you just see it like pass from the bottom of the screen up through the turbo lift. And it's, it's pretty funny. Like it's cause, cause there's like spooky music going on. It's just like a stupid vacuum cleaner just climbing up the turbo lift. I mean, it is basically a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Someone asks it, what powers you? And it's like, I am perpetual. I am nomad. Um, and what I was thinking was this this voice, this robot voice that we are going to overdo and make people turn this episode <laughs> off because it sucks. Is this something that like, was all over the 1950s and 60s? Certainly didn't start in Star Trek, right? Because I recall seeing a couple episodes of Mystery Science Theater from like the 50s sci-fi, and this voice is still there. Yeah, I mean, I, this is, seems like very typical. I, w- I wouldn't know what the origins of this voice are. Um I don't think it's any sort. I mean, I, I it's definitely a, probably a person, and they're just modulating their voice. See, that's the thing. That's the thing is that this these things are usually very very advanced. They can do crazy stuff. They have like crazy computers in their brains, and they are usually powerful. But they don't have the ability to modulate their voice. That's the one thing that they can't well, do. Seems like a little bit of an. Overstep. I mean, it's still let the audience know that they're robots. Oh, I thought it was the fact that they're made out of metal and floating. <laughs> See, I think a nice British voice. Hello, Gov. Destroy the whole civilization, I did. <laughs> All right, so they they decide to take it out of the transporter bay so they can, like, go study it. And at this point, and... it thinks Kirk's its mommy, right? I think we've established that. No, no, not yet. No, because he says, I'm, I'm oh. Captain Kirk, and he's like... Okay. Kirk, you are the that, that's when they were talking to each other. You know what? You're you're right, Clint. I want to, let's describe this a different way because this episode just teases out really basic facts really yeah, slowly. Yeah. When Kirk when Kirk said his name, he was like that that let me start that again. When Kirk said his name, that triggered the robot because the robot knew that its owner, its maker, its creator was named Kirk. Jackson Roy Kirk is its name. Jackson Roy Kirk. Yeah. So unaffiliated Totally different person from hundreds of years ago, but now it like uh, it obeys what Kirk mm-hmm. says because it's too stupid to know that humans don't live that yeah. long, and it's a totally different. It person. was launched in the year two thousand two, much like MySpace. The Nomad is going to verify that this is Kirk, the creator, and he's like, "Can I see your, your star charts? What's your origin?" And they show him the star charts, and he like sees that the humans are from Earth. Big mistake, though, because this becomes an issue later. Now Nomad knows where Earth is. I like when he's like, this gives me a lot to think about on the way back to home. <laughs> uh, so they, Spock and Kirk discuss whether this could be an old Earth probe or not. Um, it gets teased out. Yes, this is an old Earth probe. That Do we just want to say that part right now? Like what the what happened with it? So on its journey, it was out in deep space. And uh, they tease this out a little bit too, where it, because the ro- robot says a lot has come from the other, and they're like, "What do you mean the other?" And this is we get all the answers a little bit later in the episode when 
Oh, about 50 minutes into yeah, the Yeah, when Spock mind melds with it. I felt this was kind of an abuse of the mind meld, but he mind melds with it. And he find it was, it collided with another space probe called the, the Tanru. And its mission was to collect and sterilize soil samples. And no uh, Nomad's mission was to just gather information, like to seek out life and kind of be a scout. Be like, oh, hey, there's life on this planet. Note that. Go to the next planet. So it's looking for life and kind of like first contact situations. And so they meld together and its new mission becomes to seek out life and sterilize it. Or I guess imperfect life. Anything that it... No, so... I think, I think you're right, but I think it's like literally the two sentences are combined. Mm. So there's seek out life, and then there's sterilized soil samples from the other one. So it becomes sterilized life. But also it's a big thing. It's like it sterilizes anything it finds imperfect. Like that's a... And it, and it finds everything imperfect. Oh, I don't know where... It, it yeah. is. It is so unfortunate <laughs> that the coin didn't flip on the other side, and it and its mission didn't become seek out soil samples. <laughs> and now it doesn't collect them or anything. It just spends eternity going from planet to planet, locating them, <laughs> nodding, and then moving on to the next one. I I approve of the soil sample. It is rich in nitrates. On for my next lonely journey throughout the stars. Okay, so where are we, are we at right now? One thing to point out is that um, Nomad considers everybody on the ship a unit. Yeah. And Kirk the creator. So... The the fun part of the episode is that it will it's like very um, subservient to Kirk. It's like yes, creator, what do you want? And then everybody else like considers like a unit. Yeah. And remember, it doesn't like biology or it doesn't like imperfect biological creatures. So it is like very dismissive to everything else. The only reason it's not killing everybody is because Kirk is saying yeah, not to. It, now remember, is this your unit, creator? Yes, he is. It functions irrationally. Yes. I like the way he does talk to people where you'll say something to him and he goes, non sequitur, your facts are incongruent. So here's, that's lovely. I love that. That's fun. But here's the problem with this episode. It starts with a genocide of 4 billion people. So that's a real heavy thing to start it with. It wasn't like a mining colony with 20 people that Nomad wiped out because they're imperfect biological life. It wiped out 4 billion people. Non sequitur. They were imperfect. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And th- <laughs> You're right though, but... And then there's like this goofy ass <laughs> robot that killed, ki- just killed 4 billion people. Like that is such a heavy thing to throw at us. Well, and at the end, you know, they do the typical Star Trek thing where they're kind of like joking around about it and like Kirk is joking about it and you're just like, Kirk, that thing killed four billion people that we know of maybe we shouldn't be like musing fondly over it i would i would love to do a survey of sci-fi and fantasy and see like what the biggest uh, like genocide was oh uh uh-huh i mean i'm getting like everybody else we're getting into dune uh and i know that there's like a huge conflict that's about to start in like the next book and i'm just wondering like is that 4 billion people that die? Probably not. It's probably more like a couple million people. So 4 billion is just a crazy number to pick. And then just for how goofy this robot is. That's just the point that I wanted to make. Well, there's 7 billion. There's about 8 billion people on our planet. So it's half It's half an Earth at this point. That, that it. But I think it probably takes out. I mean, it's probably killed other civilizations too. Wait, no. I know the perfect thing to compare this to. How? Let's Google. 
How many people died on, what's that planet that uh, the Death Star blows up? Alderaan. Two billion. This thing killed four billion people. And I don't know how it did it because it's just a stupid robot. Did it? Oh, and it's ship. It's 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 green little ship. It shot out like phaser. Well, right? no, it is the ship. It is that green like effect that they have. Yeah. Oh, no, okay. it it itself. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense why this computer is so advanced and so powerful. But I think it can just shoot out those beams, and those beams will destroy a planet. So anyway, we got it. We got ourselves a computer that's worse than Hitler. Yeah, quite literally. But it's also funny. <laughs> okay, so Nomad is hanging out in this room. There's some engineers looking at it because Kirk wants to analyze it. Normally, obviously, again, it wouldn't let people do this, but Kirk is its creator, so it's just hanging out. Ahura is on the bridge, and she communicates with a technician down in the room where Nomad is. And she just relays some piece of information to him. And then they leave the comm channel on. And up on the bridge, Uhura starts to get bored, and she starts singing. <laughs> and Nomad's antenna slowly, like, sticks out, <laughs> and it secretly leaves the room to seek out the singing. We go to the briefing room where all the stuff is dis- is discussed. They find out that there's a scientist named Kirk that made Nomad. This probe was made to, like, this, this probe was created to make new life. He was also a weirdo. The guy who Jackson Roy Kirk who who made Nomad. They said he was. I, I didn't catch yeah, that. Yeah, they said he was like the most extreme of the scientists of the day, or something like that. They said he was a he was kind of a weird guy. So they know that like they have to destroy this thing because now they know what its mission is. Um, and but they can't because Nomad has left the room. And I guess this is again part of our series of even like the most basic security <laughs> would have done something. <laughs> Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So Nomad appears on the bridge. Uhura is like not only still singing, she's like belting out a song at some point. And I was just thinking like, listen, this is nice, but everybody's trying to work. <laughs> like there's people at computers and she's like, she's like, um, I was trying to name any Broadway actress. Hold on. <laughs> Linda Ronstadt is that one? I get, I don't know. I'm not the biggest Broadway person. Anyway, she's just belting yeah. out music. While people are trying to work, which I thought was just like, come on, Uhura, read the room a little bit. This is the same song she sung uh, in Conscious of the King when that guy gets murdered. Yeah. No, it's a real death dirge. Nomad asks what she's doing, and she's like, I'm singing. I felt like music. (laughs) Nomad says, what is singing? What is music? And it starts to get agitated. Scotty goes to, like, calm it down. But it shoots a beam out and it kills Scotty. He attacks it, right? Like, I think he physically attacks it, like, with his fists or something. Like, he was trying to grab it or something. So what you're saying is he deserved it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you don't go around attacking machines in the workplace. You gotta you gotta talk those things out. This is the second episode, too, where Scotty's uncontrollable rage just bubbles over and he lashes out oh, at, a, at a god. I think there needs to be a little bit of an HR meeting with, with Mr. <laughs> Scott, getting him into some classes to deal with his demons. <laughs> so Scotty's killed. Uhura goes into shock. What happened Her there? Brain I, gets I, maybe erased. I was just taking Her notes. Her brain is erased. I know, but like, how is it erased? She's like not near Nomad. Does Nomad touch her? No, they. He shot like a beam. What kind of? It was like a weird arc sort of thing. What am I trying? A cone. <laughs> It's like a 3D triangle. 
Yeah. So he like, there's an effect where he shoots a beam at her head and then her, her brain gets erased. Okay. This is a weird part of the episode. I, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. We'll process it more because there's more of her, but anyway, yeah, her brain's erased and she's just like, oh, they're like, what's wrong with her? And they're like, she's got nothing in her brain. What is, uh, you, you kind of said it in our little intro skit, but while they're take they're getting Kirk shows up to the bridge, they wheel Uhura out of there, and then Nomad has a little bit of misogynist line about her. Oh yeah, <laughs> let me let me find the quote. I have it. What'd you do to her? That unit is defective. Its thinking is chaotic. Absorbing it unsettled me. That unit is a woman. A mass of conflicting impulses. But yeah, he says she's a mass of conflicting impulses, which you could say of any human. Uh, but I can imagine like 1960s man just like sitting there on his brown couch and just like slapping his knee like, like honey. <laughs> and then, yeah, and that he organized them. But then it turns out that he, I don't know, erased her, her memory. They said that they erased her memory. Like she had nothing going on like in her brain or anything. Yeah. No, let's uh let's get to that part here because <laughs> it's it's so like at this point I felt like the episode started to fall apart a yeah. little bit because it just became like a lot of small scenes and and it's weird it's like it it wasn't like a bad episode it just felt really really disorganized yeah no that's a good way of putting it so they they take him to the the infirmary and then Nomad fixes Scotty right yeah. Yep, they they well first it needs to learn about human anatomy, so it asks Spock to upload all knowledge of human anatomy in audio form, and so Spock does that and he plays like a doctorate degree, but just like super fast, like, yeah, yeah, super fast, like five yeah. seconds, and then Nomad absorbs that knowledge, and then now he can go down and fix Mister Scott. There's a camera shot while. Um, McCoy is leading Nomad down to the sick bay. Uh-huh. Did you catch that? It was like a really sinister, like McCoy's like looking terrified as like Nomad is following McCoy, but Nomad is also the camera. Mm, I don't a, know if it hit me a, as much as a spooky yeah, shot. I don't know if it, it hit me as much as it did you, but, um, but I think I do kind of remember right. that. Yeah. So they go down to the sick bay, Nomad, Nomad fixes Scotty. They ask nomad to fix uhura but he's like i can't do that because there's nothing physically wrong with her yeah so they can't do that and they're like okay kirk's like you just have to reteach her everything <laughs> get started mccoy and then and he's and he's like you got it jim he's like he's like fine with it and then like we get a couple of scenes later where she's learning how to read and she's at like a first grade level which is impressive for having your memory erased um that day we can only assume this all happens on the same yeah day. and they're like she's just the dog jumped over the foot foot and then there's nurse chapel there and she's like sounded out <laughs> but she is speaking swahili too they were they were arguing about that i read a a, a factoid that uh She's reverting to Swahili because that was that's Ahura's first language because her memory. Yeah, Nicole race. Nichols argued that she should be speaking Swahili, and they didn't want to do that because they no one knew how to speak it. So they actually brought on like uh, they had to get Gene Roddenberry involved, and he agreed with her. So they brought in like a speech coach 
to give her a couple lines of Swahili so she could speak it. Um, so it makes me think that not all of her memories were erased. If she can speak Swahili, it would it'd be funny where she just starts speaking Swahili, just perfect Swahili fine. And they're like, oh, no, her mind's been erased. She's speaking gib- gibberish. <laughs> yeah. I also said that they were doing sight reading. <laughs> like that's how they were teaching her when you're really supposed to start with a strong phonics program before you jump into any kind of what's this word? What's this word? Yeah. What's this word? Because that's not the most effective way to do it. Well, teach she was people. sounding stuff out, right? Because she was like, boo-oo-e. And they're like, and then she goes. Maybe they did the phonics earlier yeah, that afternoon. And they go, blue. And she goes, bluey. And then <laughs> McCoy and Chapel are watching her and they start giggling at her. <laughs> bluey. That's not how you say blue. They Okay, this would have been a cool episode if they had taken like that charm and that like personality for the episode and just like did that in every yeah. single scene but again the pall of four billion people dead <laughs> and this thing is heading towards earth to destroy earth like it's a little bit too heavy i want to say though uh my headcanon is that uhura just got her like memory completely erased and now she like doesn't remember her childhood she doesn't remember anything about her past and she just knows how to read at at a college level by the end of the episode. In my head canon, she does not have any other memories of, you know, until one week. Yeah. As we continue watching the show, we can just think like the only thing they told her was how to run the comm station <laughs> and how to read. And that is what she does now. She, just, she doesn't sing anymore. She's not sassy. She just goes to her room and stares at the wall at night. This would be a great like season long arc for a character maybe where they had their memory erased and the whole rest of the season they're like dealing with that. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, because that's something that would happen over the course of like an episode, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that I think that's a cool idea of a secondary character having something to work through like Barkley with his anxiety. But that like takes place over seasons and it's just like dotted in every yeah. once in a while. Okay, so Kirk wants Spock to analyze Nomad now because, like, wow, it can heal people and bring them back from the dead. It can destroy planets. we got to figure out more what this thing can do. So Spock does his Vulcan mind melt with it, which I agree. If I was a dungeon master playing Star Trek, the role-playing game, and one of my characters is like, um, can I just do a Vulcan <laughs> mind meld on the robot? I would be like, absolutely not. No, it says here in the rules, biological creatures of medium size or smaller so no uh spock starts doing nomad talk while he's doing it he's like i am the other i am tanru error flaw imperfection this goes on for two minutes clint this is a two minute long scene of spock just saying like one word sentences and then he can't break out of it and even when kirk like pulls him off nomad he's still shouting sterilize sterilize so kirk has to carry him out of the room so this is what, at this point in the episode, this is where we we discover what Nomad's mission was. We already talked about it. It's its mission got confused. Now it's doing two different missions. It's sterilizing all life forms. That it finds imperfect. That it finds imperfect. And this is where we get the episode name, because Kirk is like, oh, it's like a changeling from Earth. It's turned it's a being that's turned into a different being. I thought that was kind of a stretch, because Yeah, yeah. In Irish lore, a changeling is a demon child that demons stole your child, and then they gave you a demon child to replace that child, and that child's the changeling. So in this metaphor, this thing was out there, and then it got replaced with this 
evil computer and that what makes it the changeling. Yeah, I, like what if they just had episode names? And this might be an interesting way to run a TV show is that you start with like a big office party. Everyone's just getting drunk before the season starts and everyone just like writes an episode name and like slaps it up on the blackboard. And then your job as a writer is you have to take one of those episode names and build an episode around it. So the the original idea might get lost as you continue writing the episode itself. Brilliant. Um, Corey, why don't we run a television show? I don't I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Paramount Plus, I my call, my my phone is always available. <clears throat> okay, so at this point, Spock and Kirk are like Oh, oh darn! It knows where Earth is. <laughs> Whoopsie! And it's it's gonna come after Earth. I did. We talked a little bit about this, but he was talking about how people are imperfect. Uh, no, nomad. He was like, people are imperfect. This gives me lots to think about on my return to the origin. And then Kirk's like, oh boy, uh oh, <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, because Kirk kind of plays his hand a little too strong because. Is this though? Okay, I want to bring up the. There's a part where he has Nomad wait in a waiting area, which is the brig with the force field on it. And then at some point he leaves and the force field does nothing. There's two guards and the two guards try to shoot him. It doesn't work. The, he kills the two guards. And then No Red. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, where yeah. we are. And then yeah. Nomad starts like walking around the, the, the ship again. Well, so it goes to engineering after it zaps the two mm. guards because I don't know really what it was trying to do, but it's it's basically it's going to the engine because it's like I detect imperfections in the engine and it like interfaces with the engine and increases its efficiency, mm. starts repairing the ship basically, and it forces the ship to go to warp nine, then warp 10, then it gets it up to warp 11. Scotty's there. He's like, Nomad, stop. The ship can't go that fast. Kirk arrives. Nomad says he's increased the engine capacity by 57%. And Kirk's like, you got to stop this. And then Nomad says that all the biological crew members are inefficient. So it has to be able to fine tune the ship. And Kirk's, this is where Kirk makes his big mistake. But he's like, but Nomad, I'm the creator and I'm biological and I made you. And Nomad gets super weirded out by this. <laughs> yeah. This is like you're on a first date with someone and they like say something shitty to the waiter and then and you just like get all cold shouldery. So that happens with Nomad. He's like, I need to reevaluate my relationship. <laughs> Goodbye. And he just like leaves. So Kirk and Spock are like, oh, no, now it's going towards Earth and it doesn't really care that I'm the creator anymore. Nomad kills the guards. In the brig, they put a pair of guards on this. And then at some other point, they put another pair of guards on Nomad and it's just hanging out and they're like, Nomad, go over here. Nomad is like going like through the wrong corridor, which it shouldn't. But then they're like, oh, no, it's it's out of control. Let's shoot it. So they shoot it again. A second pair of guards gets vaporized again by Nomad because they shoot it with their with their phasers. And you think like after the first pair of guards got vaporized after trying to, you know, futilely destroy this robot with their phasers. You think they'd just be like, hey, you two guys, you know, watch this robot. Don't shoot it because you can't kill it and it's just going to kill you. Well, things are moving. Things are moving so fast, Clint. There's no time to have these kind of <laughs> yeah, interactions. The only, the only thing that 
The only thing that there is time for is for Uhura to go from first grade primer to college reading primer by the end of That's the like the whole ship is like all resources are going towards teaching Uhura, like getting her back up to speed. There's like two ensigns are planning like a puppet, a puppet yeah. play to explain yeah. like what colors are. are. <laughs> so Nomad's plan is to cut off the life support to the ship, kill everybody on the <laughs> ship then use the ship as, like, its base of operations. Because although the ship is imperfect, it can be fine-tuned. The biological people may oh, yeah. die. So it goes it goes to sickbay to do this, and they know that because, like, an alarm blares. But also, Kirk goes runs to sickbay, and um, Janice Rand is passed out on the no, floor. No, it's a chapel. And you I, mean Nurse Chapel. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. And Nurse Chapel is passed out on the floor because, like, Nomad knocked her out. And I'm sorry, but my thought was, okay, show, come on. Like, y- women can die, too, in a show. You know? Like, it's okay. You can you can vaporize a woman. Well, you're... But I think women get plot armor. Well, you're not, you're not getting rid of Gene Roddenberry's mistress. <laughs> Let's... No, but you could you could kill a, uh, what are they called? A yeoman. You could vaporize a, a female yeah. yeoman. And I know, listen, I know this is a controversial point. And I'm not saying that they should. I'm just saying that they come could. On. Yeah, men and women should, you know, be able to die equally for their their causes. Okay, so Nomad cuts off all life support. Kirk meets up with it again. And then it... I didn't care for the way the episode ended, but basically it's... Because it's headed towards Earth. All the people on the ship are about to die. They have to stop Nomad somehow. They can't touch it. What do they do? Well, Clint, what does Kirk do? The famous... You gotta talk circles around him and catch him in a, in a logical fallacy. So Kirk's just like... I'm your creator, and yet I am not perfect. But you thought I was your creator, but I'm not your creator. You're mistaken. And so he's just kind of, once again, just like how he served, um, just like how he beat... Landrew? Landrew, yeah. He just kind of yells at it (laughs) until it dies. Yeah, it starts speaking in that high-pitched voice. They (laughs) put it in the transporter, and they beam it out into space, and it explodes. This is a a tried-and-true Kirk tactic, which is to talk a computer into exploding but that's the episode yeah it's exploded they have a fun little moment at the end of the episode that i don't remember kirk was like oh he was my son i was so proud of my my boy my child he was a doctor because he fixed scotty and no one talks about how nomad wiped out billions of lives just like a week ago yeah I don't have much of a, if we want to go to the writer's room real quick. So Corey, what are you, how, how, how'd you like this episode? Were you going to give it? I don't know. I, it took me two days to watch this episode cause I just couldn't get into it and I don't mm-hmm. want to fault the episode because like it, it, it was, it was fun and I can't really put my finger on why I didn't like it, but I just couldn't get into the plot. It just, it just didn't feel like there was a central plot. It just felt like there was a lot of little tiny scenes. And then they knew that they wanted to have Kirk outwit it, so they just needed to wait 50 minutes to have that scene. So, like, nothing really interested me. Like, there was a... The mystery was, what does it do? Why is it doing that? And what is it going to do? And that is, like, all... It's it's just teased out so slowly with a bunch of scenes that don't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Tonally, it was too serious. Like, the subject material was serious, but, like, the robot acts really silly. And there was just a ton of talking. There's no action in this episode besides the shots at the start. It was just a ton of talking scenes. So, 
I personally didn't like it. I don't know if I'd go as far as say as like it's a thumbs down, um, but I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Non sequitur. Your facts are incongruent. This episode was excellent. Um, no, I thought I, I, I'm going to give this episode like a lukewarm thumbs up. It was kind of fun. I kind of liked the robot, but it didn't have this. This episode didn't really have much of, of a drive to it. You're right. Where they're just kind of like meandering around and kind of hemming and hawing. And then the robot's loose. Okay, we got it under control. Oh, it's loose again. So, yeah, I mean, there were some fun little moments like when the robot erased Ohura's uh, brain, which I just thought was hilarious, and he killed Scotty and then brought him back to life. Um, but then, other than that, I, it was just kind of like a whatever episode that that like not much happened in. And like I said, yeah, we did get like like we, it's an ending we've gotten before too, where Kirk just yells at a computer until it explodes. Um, yeah, so. and and also this will, I guess, it was an inspirational episode because this will be. Much of this will be the plot for Star Trek, the motion picture, the first Star Trek, first TOS movie. Oh, yeah. I read a factoid that people jokingly call the first Star Trek where Nomad has gone before Mm -hmm. to kind of. Yeah, it's pretty similar. Yeah. It's because it's the Voyager one or Voyager two probe that's interfaced with an alien and it becomes like a god. And that's that's the plot to the first movie. Yeah. Even more of a god than this one. Yeah. If I was, can we writer's room this real quick? Yeah, let's do it. I don't really have much because like the whole episode is is pretty simple. And I don't think like, I don't want to do like a big overhaul on it. But like it's established that that Nomad has godlike powers. Like it has infinite powers as long as it has energy. It can do anything. So it can bring pre- people, it can bring people back from the dead. So I thought, like, instead of doing the logical fallacy thing at the end, which is a little, um, I don't know, a little, little lazy, like, they could have just found a way to bargain with it or negotiate with it and make it so, like, it didn't kill itself and, and like, they were able to harness its, its life-giving powers to, like, shoot something out from the Enterprise with, with Nomad, like, helping to just restore all the life that Nomad had taken away because yeah, that's 4 billion people. And I, it would have been cool to like, if it was just 12 people, it wouldn't have been a big deal, but like 4 billion people, I feel like there needed to be a resolution to all that. Oh, that, that would have been nice where they did kind of undo because it was like a big plant. I don't know. <laughs> they were like, Whoa, this planet, you know, like it's just crazy that it just wiped out 4 billion people. And yeah, you yeah, didn't really hear much about it. Or maybe like find some way to separate the two. And just like the episode ends with them separating the two probes, the soil collecting probe and the life probe. And like they find a way to give them their own entities back. And then they just shoot them back out into space and they both go along their way, continuing their mission. So I don't know. I'm just trying to find any way to solve this without doing a logical fallacy thing at the end. Yeah. Well, one, this is one of those episodes where, you know, should have ended in the first five minutes where when you like when I was listening to you, Kirk should just been like, okay, shut down and we'll service you or check you out. And then it would have been. Oh, yeah, that's true. It should like this is kind of one of those episodes where it's just kind of contrived and kind of teased out a little bit too much. 
I don't mind the logical fallacy part. <laughs> kind of. Like, I don't like the idea that it's like, oh, you think you're perfect, but you're not perfect, so you should destroy yourself. Like, it was very general for a logical fallacy. I thought it was interesting where he thought Roy Kirk, or Kirk was Roy Kirk. I thought they could have kind of, like, gone in through that angle a little bit better, where it's like, no, you're you're flawed. You know, you thought I was your creator, but that doesn't make any sense. But instead, Kirk just went, you know, like a more general argument where he's like, oh, you think you're perfect, but you're not. And then Nomad's like, you're right. I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it does that, like with the Landrew argument was... Like, what What was Kirk's logical fallacy on that one? I mean, it was, like, the same one. It's, like, you say you're perfect, or it's, like, you say that you're helping these people, but I say that you're actually harming them, and you're harming them because they're not able to be free and creative, and that's what people need, and so you're actually bad of the body, and then, and then it was, oh, I thought I was doing well, but no, I am bad, but mostly, too, he just kind of yells at it until it can't really keep up, and then it explodes, so, I mean, it's, like, the second time that's happened. Yeah, I mean, it is like a trope to do that, and I, you, the trope is born out of this, and like it is like separating itself from like a show that tries to analyze and criticize old Star Trek episodes. <laughs> like it's a, it's fun, right? It's very yeah. campy in sixties. Yeah. But as someone who's forced to watch this show every week, I'm just like, please <laughs> do something a little bit more There's... creative. Of course, Futurama is such a great parody, and they do such great riffs on on Star Trek, but there's an episode where, as we all know in Futurama, um, Santa Claus is a killer robot who's judged everyone as naughty. So he just goes on a killing spree every Xmas instead of giving out presents. Uh, but he's a robot. The The Futurama crew encounters him and Leo is like, I'm going to give him a logical fallacy to destroy him. So she says, Santa, you kill the naughty, but I posit you are naughty. So you must destroy yourself. And then, like, his head explodes, you know, because it's a logical fallacy. But then another head pops up. He's like, ha, ha, ha. My head is built with paradox-absorbing crumple zones. So you can't do that to me. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that show it's so much. so funny. All right. Yeah, I think we've uh, we've kind of tackled this this episode. I don't feel like there's much else to talk about. And until we see you next time, keep on trekking. Trekking.